Hey everyone, it's Henry, Mike, and Chris of Decentralization Education. Now, Decentralization Education is our short 10 to 15 minute segment where we explain technology terms and topics that we often reference during our regular podcast, The Decentralists. This time, we're going to talk about the cloud. Mike, everybody's heard that term forever, but not everyone may know exactly what it is and where it came from. What is the cloud? Well, Henry, I don't know if I should feel um, proud or ashamed that I'm actually old enough to have predated the cloud. <laughs> so maybe that makes me uniquely positioned to explain it. But, you know, it's, it's for, those of, for those of us who've been involved in this, you know, kind of greater thing, quote unquote, the internet since the beginning, okay, started off where we all had a personal computer or we had some lab that was at a university that we accessed through a dumb terminal. And what we did is we generally, all of the work that we did, right, the computing, whether it was word processing, whether it was playing a game, whether it was, you know, all of these things was done on the actual computer. Well, Mike, this must have been when Microsoft was starting whereby you had to buy software for your computer and use it on your computer because the internet did not exist. Yeah, like the internet, all it was, was was essentially at the beginning when it was, I think it was called ARPANET or something. It yeah. was done. It was basically a, a backbone of hardened telephone cables, like literally copper wires that were buried underground in these basically huge kind of like I call, they call them hardened pipes and they connected all of the key military um, installations, uh, research labs like the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and DARPA and stuff. And the guys like the, you know, with the sitting in the nuke silos in North Dakota. Okay? <laughs> right. And the idea was, is somebody at some point said, hey, wait a second, what happens if some somebody goes into the right place in, in say, Chicago or something, cuts that wire, we can't talk to half of the armed forces. So they buried this cable and they said, this is the internet. And basically all it was was phone lines. So you'd connect to a phone line, just to, much the same way that we connect to Wi-Fi, and then your computing device would do the computing and would go out and would look for other computers that had people on them and you could maybe even chat with. And that was dial-up back then. That was dial-up. And so what you did is you hit this, you hit this point though, right? Where the when Microsoft kind of came became um, a company and personal computers became a thing, right? There was times I remember Bill Gates, you know, he's a young guy and he's like, oh, you know, everybody at, you give it 10 years and everybody will have a computer in their house, and everybody laughed at him. Okay. And so the idea was is now you had all these people that were starting to buy computers, you know, young kids. Like my parents bought me like a VIC-20 or a Commodore 64, right? Those are the early ones. You know, I remember I started playing games, but then all of a sudden you had these things like Usenets, BBS, and all these other bulletin board servers where you could talk to people. And it was very cool. Now, it was just a blinking cursor. So all of a sudden you flash forward a couple of years, and now there's, you know, people like every college student has a computer, right? And there's computer labs everywhere, and computers are very, very important. But the problem is... The backbone, where you actually accessed the applications, where you actually, you know, stored stuff was really expensive, right? Yeah. Storage was super expensive. Phone lines were super expensive, right? I mean, you literally had to run a piece of cable, right? From the wire down to the house. Yeah. So how do you, how do you now provide access to these 
hundreds of thousands, soon to become millions and ideally billions of people on this planet who want to access this internet in order to share. Well, what the, what happened was, is there was, you know, the, somebody said, we need 2 billion people to be able to connect to the internet. And the phone company said, like hell, <laughs> I'm going to go and run 2 billion phone lines. Are you crazy? I'm not doing that. And then, and then you had basically, they said, okay, well, let's, how about the universities? You guys have got all this computing power. Can we use that? And they said, like hell, I'm a university. I don't have any money. <laughs> and so somebody in Silicon Valley raised their hand and said, I've got money. Right. And at that time that we were just starting to see things like search engines, right? Google was starting to come out. I mean, the cloud's only been around for like 25 years or so. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they took all of these big servers that they had built to host things like Google search, indexing all of the websites in the world. And they had all of these servers that were used to process transactions. And somebody said, wait a second, but we've got all this extra storage and we've got all this extra compute. So why don't we just take the search and instead of basically everybody having an individual search browser on their computer that they can use to search the internet, why don't we just have one browser on our computer and allow everybody to just come to our website and access it? Aha, uh -huh, the cloud. That becomes the cloud. So... Anything, and, and, and since that kind of started, since Google with search, every single thing that we do has either been on the cloud or pushed into the cloud. You can't even buy Microsoft Word or Microsoft Office anymore. Right. What do you get? You get a subscription to Office 365. That's not a piece of software. You don't own that, Henry. Mm -hmm. You get to access a bunch of your documents, your word processor, and all that stuff on Microsoft's server. Everything you do is within Microsoft's walled garden. And that's where the cloud is a convenient thing, but also an inconvenient thing. Yeah. I mean, at, at first, people, there was no way they had enough storage on their personal computers. It was too expensive. Absolutely. It was too expensive. It wasn't fast enough. Nobody had lines, right? I mean, the phone companies aren't digging holes in the ground. Like it was just, it was a perfect storm. Okay. So Chris, what does this have to do with social media, the cloud? Well, first I would like to say that there's nothing about social that requires the cloud. <laughs> Skype at one time had peer-to-peer -peer functionality. Yeah. And when it first came out, I think you're right. That's right. Huh. Um, it was only recently that they removed that functionality. Also, email doesn't have to uh, use the cloud either. Mm -hmm. Email can be peer-to-peer -peer if you want it to be. There, there's a whole host of services that do work peer-to-peer. -peer. Now, I'm going to mention why they now work in the cloud, though. The reason is very simple. Companies want your data. Yeah. Yep. Making all this software work through the cloud allows there to be a middleman listening in and snooping in on your conversations. Analyzing everything you're interested in. That's right. So that they can later sell your data to the highest bidder. There's a reason why they're, they're giving it away for free to you. It's because you're the product. Well, so essentially what you're saying is the architecture of the cloud, the concept of the cloud enables this business model to work like a charm. That's right. It, exactly. Like it wouldn't exist. 
I, I, I'm convinced that we would not have the advertising business model. We would not have the manipulation. We would not have all of these crazy things that happen. And probably fewer data breaches. Well, of course, right? Because that's the thing. Remember, you know, like Chris just said, now you've got, you've got this cloud and this is where it's really dangerous. It's social because in social, that cloud not only allows and facilitates the connection between two people, but it also contains all their identity information. Right. So it's, what do they use that term? A honeypot. It's it's such a, a, a prized treasure that every major serious hacker wants to attack it. As opposed to uh, one billion individual computers at home where it's a heck of a lot of work to try and get a little something from everyone. Absolutely. Right? So back in the days, Henry, at the beginning before the cloud, if somebody wanted to get in and hack my communications, what was coming out of my computer, they would literally have to crawl up the telephone pole and stick one of those, you know, wire things on it, wire taps on it, like they used to do in the movies back in the day. Oh, yeah. Now, all they need to do is put a scraper bot on the incoming thing on Facebook and they'll grab all the data they want. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, remember, back in the day, individual computers, well, for most of the day, they were off. Well, that's not the way things are today. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So the cloud allows, is always pinging your phone. You're walking down the street, it's always pinging you, it's tracking you, it's doing everything. So in other words, the cloud, great concept. It was, it was created for a valid reason, but it has sort of morphed into a monster when it comes to privacy and control. And remember, remember, Henry, it's very important, okay? The cloud is an inanimate object. It is a bunch of computers and a bunch of servers in a rack somewhere. Okay? It does nothing until its human masters tell it what to do. Right, right. And the biggest clouds in the world, Chris, who, who are the um, providers? Oh, there's a lot of providers. There's Amazon. I would probably say they're number one. Yep. Microsoft definitely as well. IBM. Uh, there's Rackspace. Uh, you know. Google. Yeah. There, there's, there's just a lot of cloud providers. Um, too many of them. And that's that's another reason why you know most people should be concerned is is because you don't know where your data winds up. Mm -hmm. That's right. And whether the cloud is in one country or another, and therefore what 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 legal ramifications that may have, and all that sort of thing. Totally. But we can't go on forever here. But tell me, how does this relate to peer social and many one the cloud? Well, you know, we're not using it. It's it's kind of that simple. It's fundamental. It's a fundamental change. It's a fundamental change. We don't need it. Nobody at Peer Social or anyone needs to needs to host or or look at or be in the middle of anybody's communication. It's not part of the business model. It's not what we want to do. I, I I personally don't care who's buying shoes, right? I don't need to sell advertising because there's enough of it out there. We don't need another freaking channel of advertising. Yeah, absolutely. So the reality is is. The, the cloud can be can be great to do things like if, you, if what you do is you set it up and you say all this thing is going to do is just store data and that data is encrypted as we talked about in the last session, then the cloud's okay, right? It's okay yeah. because it's just that inert piece of material. It's like it's, a parking spot for your data. Exactly. It's just a parking spot because you know where the parking spot is. You have the key to the car. It's all fine, right? It's, it, it's when it's Google's car and they're renting it to you. And they can just take it away from you whenever, that's when the cloud becomes a problem. Right. Okay. 
Thank you so much, Mike and Chris. Uh, the cloud, it's pretty simple, but it's sort of gotten a bit complex over the decades. Thank you very much. Thank you, Henry. Okay, take care.